All too often when families come to me, they're exhausted. I get it. Of course they are. And I often say this point blank. I'm going to ask you to make changes and I know you're tired. You don't think you need to make the changes. I get all that. And you know what? You're going to have to do it anyway if you want this situation to change because you're the one who has some ability to do that at this point. Your loved one probably doesn't have that ability anymore. In the same way we want to look at an illness, this is a at least in part a medical condition. It doesn't mean that they don't have any capacity to make decisions anymore. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying that they are ill. And when our kids are ill, that's when we need to protect them more. That's our job. Mama bears, papa bears, whoever we are. So let's look at that and say they need your help even more now. Welcome to Hope Stream, the podcast for parents who have kids misusing drugs or alcohol, are in a treatment program, or the early days of recovery. I am your host, Brenda Zane, a fellow mom who's lived the difficult experience, and I now work to bring you resources and hope that might make your journey just a little bit better. You can learn more about me, our family story, and the work that I do at brendazane.com. Okay, friends, you are in for a treat today. I have a guest back for her second episode because her first episode, which is number 65, has been in the top 10 on Hopestream pretty much since we recorded it. I thought who better to have back on the show to continue our conversation, which was all about craft and harm reduction. So now you probably know who I'm talking about, Dee Dee Stout. Didi has such a robust bio that there is no way I could properly introduce her here, so you'll have to read all about her on her website, which is didistoutconsulting.com. But here are a few nuggets that you should know. She holds a master's degree in health counseling, was a certified drug and alcohol counselor for 20 years, has studied with every expert in the book in the fields of motivational interviewing, craft, harm reduction, mindfulness-based relapse prevention, brain spotting, trauma, anxiety, everything. She's worked with too many universities to list, numerous treatment settings, has conducted some 900 presentations and trainings to date, most particularly on motivational interviewing, including topics like anger management, families of substance users and abusers, the stages of change, human sexuality, nutrition, and a lot more. See what I mean? And I am literally on the first paragraph of her bio, but you get the point. Dee Dee is someone who says it like it is. She doesn't shy away from tough conversations. She has been there, done that, and seen it all. So it was really great to catch up with her and talk in more depth about some of the things we talked about in episode 65 about harm reduction and craft. But we get a little deeper into what harm reduction is and isn't how we can strengthen relationships with our kids when they're misusing substances, how to have better conversations, how to improve our family dynamics, lapse and relapse, so many things. We covered a lot of ground, so buckle up, grab your animal, your shoes, and let's dive straight into it with Didi. We're just going to roll into it because we have so much to talk about, but it sounds like there's some, um, I don't know if they're organizations that are kind of representing something that might sound like craft, but it's actually not. And yes. it's a little bit of like masquerading going on. Tell me about that. What's what's going on? Oh, boy. So I wish I could pull up the name. I might be able to because there's one I found recently that the gal said she'd been trained in craft. And I thought, you know, I've got a few minutes. I'm feeling lousy anyway. Good time to go through this. Got on her website, took a deep dive. And at the end of it was like, holy shit, forgive me. I, I was just enraged. And all it took was some of the titles of some of her episodes, or I want to call them more modules, a program you sign up for. And, you know, so you're also paying money for this. Right, right. And, you know, it was just offensive. Absolutely offensive. 
Wow. And I just did not, I don't think I wrote to her. I sometimes do. I kind of have to do the, do I have the energy and the time, you know, to do it? Yes. I don't right now. Okay. I'll let it go. Maybe I can come back to it another time. Or sometimes I'll post it on my Facebook page and let the community out there take care of it. So let me take an example of what a lot of places call harm reduction. Yes, I would love that because that that was going to be my next question. Okay. So harm reduction gets touted out a lot of times. You'll get you'll see an agency, a rehab, for lack of a better phrase, get on their website and they'll say that they're practicing harm reduction. In fact, we have a place called the harm reduction center.com that's doing this. When you read through what they're doing is MAT. So medicated assistant treatment. Right. Okay. Now, MAT is technically not harm reduction. It's treatment, isn't it? Like Exactly. Do we call, when my dad takes his medication for his heart, do we call it MAT for heart disease? Right. No. Do we call insulin MAT for diabetes? No. We don't have special labels for it. We don't have special clinics where you need to go. We just like, stop with the stigma. Because this is adding to stigma. I know people don't mean to do that oftentimes when they're doing that, but it does. Because again, it's only for those people. Right. And it's an indication that it is not a legitimate way to recovery. Mm -hmm. Like, well, if, you know, this is a step in a better direction, which yes, it is. Mm Mm-hmm. But that is, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I kind of got on the bandwagon about that on Twitter recently. And just said, I'm getting a little tired of this. And we saw the same thing um, back in the 90s when programs, certainly programs here in the Bay Area, were unwilling to accept people on antidepressants. That was the big Prozac had come out. You know, and here we go. So they were unwilling to accept people on any psychotropic medication is what they generally called it. Well, today, that's a non-issue. In fact, most people expect people are on some kind of psychiatric medication, which is a whole nother rabbit hole we won't go down. (laughs) We won't go there. (laughs) But it's the same kind of idea because people didn't see it as truly being in recovery. Oh, you're taking something. You're using a crutch. Now, I heard this in 12-step meetings all the time. It is such, again, an insulting and abusive terminology. Of course, you're going to use a crutch. If you have a broken leg, that's what you do, or you're liable to not heal right. Yeah. So how is that a bad thing? It just blows my mind. The other thing that I, speaking of 12-step and medications, that I want to make sure that everyone is aware of within earshot here is that there's a pamphlet from AA and NA. Those are separate organizations, by the way. AA is much more medication friendly, we'll call it, than NA. NA is accepting of some things. But in AA, there is a very lengthy pamphlet now that's been around for, it's been around for at least 35 years. And it's called the AA member medications and other drugs. It's available on their website in a PDF and it's been updated. So it talks about medication assisted treatment. And the gist of it is if your doctor thinks you should be on this medication, then you take your medication because you know what? We're not doctors. It's none of our business. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so that's the AA, but you were saying NA isn't necessarily the same? Yeah, they actually, and I wish I I don't have that one printed out. They have two different pamphlets. In general, they don't like it, but they'll be okay with some of it is kind of how it comes down. Nice and clear. (laughs) Yeah, I know, exactly. So a lot of times I'm still telling clients, just don't disclose. Now, I don't like saying that. But ultimately, yeah, you know, again, do I go in and talk about my heart disease medication or the fact that I'm on insulin? Probably not. (laughs) Maybe, but probably not. So, you know, let's just not do that. 
Right. Yeah, that's, I think, for somebody who's looking for a community and looking for that support, you do, it's too bad that people have to tread lightly in that area, because it's not like you don't have a million other things that you're trying to navigate. But that is good to know. And I think it's good to know, I think it's good for parents to know that if you are, you know, which is the people listening here, usually teens and young adults, you know, maybe into the late 20s, early 30s, is as you are helping your son or daughter look for resources, it's good to know these things. Like, here's what NA is sort of all about. Here's what smart recovery is about. Mm -hmm. Here's what, you know, there's the like, Buddhist yoga one. What's that called? Dharma recovery. Dharma recovery. So there's all these different ones. And first of all, a lot of people don't know that there are so many different ones. Right. Um, Second of all, that there are very different approaches and very different mindsets. And so I think that's super important. So one of the questions that I would love to just get your thoughts on, because this keeps coming up with parents. Again, these are a lot of the time I'm talking about parents of young people who are under the age of 18. So they are still, you know, I'm using air quotes, in charge legally. Um, And that's a whole nother discussion of like, well, I'm legally required to care for this person, but I'm not allowed to make any decisions for them. Just like in the state of Washington, the age of consent is 13. After your child turns 13, you lose all control of, you can't get their medical information, you can't get a therapist, any of that, but you're still required to parent them to, you know, like house them, all that. Right. Feed, clothe them, all that good stuff. It's insane. But the question that keeps coming up for these parents is, as I am practicing harm reduction, because many of them are getting on board with that, it can feel like enabling. It can feel like I am approving of this and that I'm enabling my my 15-year-old or my 16-year-old to smoke weed or whatever it is that they're doing. And they're trying to reconcile how to first of all, like kind of process it in their head, but also how do I communicate that to my 15 or 16 year old to say, I'm on board with keeping you as safe as possible. However, I am not on board with you putting pot in your brain every day because there are going to be some implications from that. So I would love to get your thoughts on how do you do that in a way that is respectful of harm reduction and respectful of your kids and still feels like you're doing your job as a parent to not let your child or not, I guess, encourage your child to have this really dangerous, unhealthful behavior. Yeah. And first, I want to say there are no explicit hard and fast rules in harm reduction. So let me go back to kind of the definition of harm reduction again for a second. That's, yeah. And say, so by harm reduction, we're really talking about being flexible, being transparent, and keeping the lines of communication open. We're also about any positive change. And that's an important piece of this discussion, I think. So on top of that, I want to add to all parents, and I'm going to say this, I just became a grandparent this this week. So I'm going to remind myself, thank you, at 43, <laughs> that's quite a miracle. Wow. Their, their age, not mine, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that expectations are resentments under construction. Mm. So <laughs> this that does require, so true. <laughs> I know, it requires some shifting on our part. And change, Garfield said it best, the only things I've ever let go of in life have claw marks all over it, Garfield the cat. And that's the idea. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, well, yeah, you are. You can either do it your way, the hard way or something in between. And that's kind of what we're asking. And I realize how difficult that is. Yeah. It's also necessary. So I'm fully on board with having conversations with our kids. And hopefully this isn't something new, right? That we've been having these conversations about all kinds of risky behaviors over their lifetime. So when you're 12, 13, whatever age it is, and we sit down and we're going to talk more about drug use and risks behind that, that first of all, I'm going to go somewhere and get accurate information not um, the information that, oh, shall we say, like 
Dr. Phil or Dr. Drew might give to you. And, or Instagram. Or Instagram. <laughs> or a few other Reddit. places. That's right. <laughs> you know, we're going to get, and I have a couple of books that folks are interested. We, you know, we have books out there that are based in good information. There's some really good websites um, that have good information and just straightforward, you know, not pro or con. Because even our government health services can get a little bit on the abstinence side. And, and I understand that. We just want to be careful with that because kids are going to latch right onto that <laughs> so we want to be as unbiased as possible with that information now the best way to go about that of course is to ask your kid what do you know i did this with my son you know um, when because i stopped using drugs long before ecstasy became a thing and i didn't know anything about it and i was very nervous I mean, he was a teenager and i said you know our Tell me a little bit about ecstasy. What do you know? And I'll never forget. He looked at me with that. Is she really serious? Like, is she trying to trick me? Right. <laughs> this no. must be a trick question. <laughs> I was like, and I had to say, no, no, honey, I don't care if you've used it. In fact, I'll assume you have. How's that? I, and he was not a big drug user. but you know, I, I assumed he had at that point, which he had. And I said, I, I just don't know. And so tell me what's going on out there. Right. Yeah, because um, I can't be out there. That's not my world anymore. And I find that really opens up the conversation. It shows my teenager that I trust them. I believe in my ability to parent. So I've given you good information these years. I've been supportive of you, um, of other behaviors that maybe I haven't always liked. And that's one of the things that I think we have to get comfortable with as parents. And I remember the moment, I won't talk about it because it's not my story, but I'll just say I remember the moment with my own son when it became clear that he'd made a life choice that I found offensive, but you know what? That was not my life. And he's responsible. And I still find him to be that. And I really needed to just trust in that. I also needed to tell him, I'm not really happy with that choice. However, I'm really glad you told me. Yeah. Now, tell me what are, what you're thinking. And he had thought it through. He had a plan. I still didn't like it, right? It's not about my liking it. It's about my having this conversation. Yes, I can see that. I think you have to kind of back up all of this to start with it's not my life. Yeah. It's not my life. And and that's really hard when your kids are younger. I think if you're talking about it 20 something, 30, you know, it's easier to sort of let that go or to find some distance between yourself and your child. But when they're living in your home, when they're so young, it's really, it's a new way to think. And so to really be thinking that way and to just be curious about who they are as a person and then to be able to separate your need as a parent for them to be safe. I think this is where the rub comes in is I am a hundred percent okay with them being whoever they are mm -hmm. and I need them to be safe. It is my job to keep you as safe as I can for as long as I can. Right. And so that's where I see the the moms and dads that I work with really struggle. It's like, but it's not safe what they're doing. And it's like, I know, it's really hard. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up, Brenda, because we are living in a time where there's this expectation or desire that somehow, if we can just move all the chess pieces in the right way, we can create safety. Yeah. Let go of that, too. Right. All right. So, when I talk to couples in particular, and one of them is a substance user and the other is not or is not using substances in the same way, uh, oftentimes I will open that conversation by saying, about the risky behaviors that are allowed that you can live with. And I usually get, what do you mean? I don't want any risky behaviors. And I'll say, well, then that means you're not driving a car. And let's see, it means 
most of the time you can't walk down the streets in many, or two, I don't know about your area, but San Francisco is kind of famous, sadly, for car accidents downtown with pedestrians and residents. We're not talking tourists. And they've now <laughs> shut down the streets as a result of that. Um, so life is risky, is my point. And I don't mean to be facetious here, but I really do think we need to have that conversation with ourselves and then figure out what I can comfortably be uncomfortable about. And my level of anxiety. So my question might be to my young person, why are you not uncomfortable? You know, how come you're seeing this in a completely different way than I am? And again, there's those lines of communication. Help me see what it's doing for you that you feel like nothing else will get you there. And I want to really emphasize that drug use is always a symptom of something else. Boredom, sure, it doesn't have to be too dramatic. Right, right. But oftentimes it is that something is going on, something happened. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that people are bad parents, because I think a lot of things happen outside the home that parents never know about. Right. That then lead to traumatic events for that young person. You know, uh, and then that leads to their drug use, and then problematic drug use. But it's about them treating those symptoms. Right. Yeah. So true. And I wonder what what's some language that a parent could use if they're having this conversation that could communicate, I'm so willing to work through this with you. I really want to understand what this is doing for you. and also, I don't like it. I mean, do you just say that? Like, is it just that to say, like, I, it's, it scares me. I know it's bad for your body, but I'm not bailing on you. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm going to kick you out of this house if I ever see marijuana in our house. Like, do you just, is it that black and white? Or are, is there language that you like to really keep the communication open, but to clearly state you are not okay with this like from a safety standpoint not like i'm gonna leave morals out of it or whatever (laughs) but just from a safety standpoint yeah i mean i think it's perfectly okay to talk about it from a safety point of view of just saying that you know i'm uncomfortable in the same way i'd argue how would you talk to your your son or daughter or a person young person who's going to i don't know going to a party that you're nervous about. How would you have that conversation? How would you have it if they were, if they wanted to go to some other event that you weren't totally on board with? Maybe it was a concert they really wanted to attend. And you don't like that music or something or the people that tend to be there and you're concerned about it. So, you know, how would you talk to them? Uh, and, And again, looking at this as another risky behavior Teenagers are all about taking risks. In fact, it's an obligation. Right. It's you know, a rite of it, passage. Exactly. In our majority culture, we don't have rites of passage anymore, you know, to speak of. Some in the Jewish faith do, and some in other traditional faiths do, but we general white majority culture do not. I think it's a problem, but there we are. <laughs> so this has become part of that rite of passage. Uh, There's also a developmental piece to this of kids trying to separate from their parents, whoever their parental units are, you know, um, and the fact that they know they still need them. (laughs) And so this sort of back and forth, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I need you, I don't, (laughs) you know, Uh, that is perfectly natural. So I, I used to say, one of the things that helped me a lot was when I got clear that my son's job as a teenager was to make my life a living hell and just get over it (laughs) and go, okay, he's doing his job. So now I need to do my job and I need to get into my own work around this. And I need to trust, I'm going to go back to this. I need to trust that I have been a good parent that I have to make other decisions that turned out. Okay. I have given them tools to be able to to think for themselves 
And I also have to get okay that they are going to go down that path with some of their friends on occasion and things are going to happen. So I want to make sure in this day and age, things like everybody has Narcan. You know, I have it in my bathroom you know, and I have one in my bag. You now, I don't go anywhere without it anymore. And that's just part of the course. So when, you know, when my son was a teenager and I took him a box of condoms, which embarrassed him to death, let's just say that out loud. You know, it was his 21st birthday. He was living out of the country. And I said, look, you know, you're having these because I went through the 80s. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And I'm not going to have you die as much as I can help it from something like that. So here we are with the same idea. Yes. Narcan, please get Narcan. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Please get Narcan. I uh, and I don't care what you think your child is using. Exactly. Just I have it. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've said that on this podcast is that if they are smoking weed and drinking yes. yes they are not yep maybe one in a million but but maybe their friend is using something else too right yes at the yes. same party yes so you know how good are they going to feel that they were able to save their friend's life yes and we have lots of those stories yes right i know I don't know. I think I might just have to get a tattoo on my forehead because I can't say it enough. And I, I I've had the conversation so many times. But anyway, so, okay. So we just have to be really upfront. We have to feel comfortable being uncomfortable, knowing that we're, it's just going to be how it is. The more that we can be straightforward and honest about our fear, um, because I, I do think that that's the, the a sticking point is if I tell my, you know, 15 or 16, you know, you can't smoke pot in this house. Like, here's what I can control. You can't do it in this house. What you do outside of this house is, you know, beyond my control. Would that be a, a harm reduction or is that more craft or is that sort of a blend? You know, I would just call it smart parenting, right? Right. <laughs> But, you know, it's the thing I would add to that is I would want to have the conversation, too, about why is this young person using this substance? Mm -hmm. I think what I'm trying to get to is don't just make rules. Yes. You know, have some logic behind them and find out what's going on with your kids. What yeah. is happening to the best yeah. of your ability? And oftentimes the way to get them to open up is for you to open up. Right. Because there's nothing worse than I'm sitting with, let's say, a cocktail at six o'clock every night and I drink between six and eight. And then I go to bed and and do whatever. And I have no moral obligation about that either. I mean, that's fine. You know? I'm just saying that if you're doing that and then you tell your child that they can't have cannabis or something else, they're going to say, well, you're a hypocrite. Right. Look at you. And we can all say, well, they're a teenager and you're an adult. Well, they know that. So that argument doesn't work. All it is is an argument. So instead of getting into that, say, you know what? You're right. I do. So let's talk a little bit about why I'm having that drink. Yeah. And take a hard look at that for yourself. And ju just to be curious. You know, maybe it's because you have a hard job. Maybe it's because, you know, the pandemic has been really hard on all of us. I mean, we've seen alcohol rates increase significantly yeah. almost 50 percent yes significantly you know it'll go back down but it has gone back up so and we think why instead of looking at it automatically as oh my gosh we got to change this right now say just hold on and that's the first thing we need to know is how come you know are you okay you know just that's what i really want to know are you okay honey right and what i hear a lot is the the kids are the kids, the young people are really struggling with anxiety, so much anxiety. And marijuana seems to at first work very well for that in their mind. I think we all know just, you know, logically down the road that isn't going to work. It's actually going to increase the anxiety, but in the short Not necessarily. Term, so let's also, you know, kind of back this up. Here comes that accurate information, right? Mm -hmm. For most people, it can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it doesn't matter your age. Uh, I mean, it does brain-wise. And frankly, cannabis can be a whole lot safer than taking some of the psychotropics. Yeah. So, oh, definitely. You know, there's definitely. that side too, right? Yes. Better would be things like exercise, looking at their nutrition. What are they doing socially? Are they connected to other people? And that's been the difficult part during the pandemic because those things were not able to be put in place in the same way. Yes. Right. And I interrupted you and I'm sorry, Brenda. No, no, that was really good. Um, I I think it's, yeah, it is important to understand that. And, and sometimes I think it's important to be able to explain to our kids or to have them look up from a scientific standpoint, what is this doing? What is it not doing? What would be an alternative? Because sometimes I think we as parents want to take that control. Well, I called the psychiatrist and here's what I talked to him or her about. And I did this. And then I looked up this place and then I did this. And we're doing all of this stuff and we're not empowering our kids to say, what do you need? You and Because the other thing is a lot of times we want to know, why are you smoking weed? Well, what is it doing for you? And they can't articulate it. They don't really know. They just know I don't know. I just like it. It just makes me feel, it makes me feel good. So there's a little bit of that too, where they're not able to communicate with us to a degree that we can really say, okay, if that's the case, would you be willing to look at some alternatives to this? Because it's impacting your school. You can't play your sport anymore. You're Because this is what I see is it starts out okay. And then as they continue to smoke or they smoke more, um, it's he or she dropped out of sports. No more drama class, you know, no more marching band, no more anything. And so it's just this right. withdrawal. The world becomes more narrow. Yes. And that's a big concern in addition to the brain. So really trying to understand at that point, like, whoa, what, you know, this isn't going to work long term, but right. giving them some of that control because there's nothing worse than having somebody say, here, I found these seven things that I want you to do. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, no, I can't do that with adults. Right. And we're supposed to know better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's where I say, I've got to work on my uncomfortability, my own anxiety. That's my job. And I may need to have a little come to Jesus with myself before I have that chat with my child. Right. Right. That is not the person that I want to get upset with because that's not going to help. Yeah. That is what we've learned. Yeah. So dial down the dramatics, let go of the expectations and let's just have a conversation. One thing that I do suggest to parents all the time is please don't do the, let's sit down and have the talk kind of encounter you know, do it while you're out, I don't know, having McDonald's one time in the car, or, you know, you're out taking a drive, or you're out raking the leaves, or, (laughs) but, and then make it fast. Do a chunklet of something, but don't have these big lectures. Yeah, that's not going to work either. So you might just say, you know, I found this thing in your room the other day, and I don't even know what it is. It's this pen looking thing and i want a little bit about that brenda what's what's up with that yeah and wait for them to think "Uh uh-oh i'm in trouble batman (laughs) they fell whatever and just be curious and curiosity requires that we let go of our expectations and the idea that we have an outcome in store I don't, I, and like I said, even with my own son, I had to say, I'm serious. I'm just curious here. Right. And I really had to emphasize that. And that's such a different mindset, I think, than is natural to have. Uh, Do you know Erica Lebetkin? She's a craft therapist in New York. I don't, but I think I've heard about her. She worked at CMC. For a couple of years. Yeah. Yep. See, that's why. That's so she's why I know fantastic. <laughs> Her father is a well-known psychotherapist in New York. But anyway, we were talking and we were just saying, because my question to her was, what do you do when your partner or your spouse or your ex-spouse is not on the same page with adopting a craft approach? And I think it it kind of goes along with what we're saying here about being curious is 
if I'm yelling and I'm screaming and I'm shaming and and this was me. So I I was the one who was like, can't you see what you're doing to me? Can't you see you're killing me? Mm-hmm. Can't you see what you're doing to your grandparents? And if you've been doing that and it hasn't been working, your child isn't like magically going, oh, mom, you're right. I am killing you. I am going to stop taking Percocet that is laced with fentanyl. <laughs> like that's never going to happen. So if if what you've been doing isn't been hasn't been working, what's the harm in trying a more craft approach or a harm reduction approach? Look at it as an experiment and say, okay, nothing has to be forever, but would it kill me to adopt this for a month or two and see what happens? And I just was on the phone with a mom yesterday who was really adorable. She said, okay, I just, you know, I joined your community. I've been at this for 10 years. And she said, I started reading Beyond Addiction. She said, I I met up with my daughter, who's I think in her mid-20s. She said, I tried this one little thing and it worked. She said, it was the first conversation that we have had in months And I was just like, yes, like, give it a try. Give some of this a try being open just because you're curious. And like you said, tell me about this. What is this vape thing? What is this pen? That's not going to make anything worse. It's just going to let them know that you're a safe place to have the conversation, I think. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was sort of a light bulb that went on for me. It's just, you know, give it a try and see what happens. Yeah. And I think that's the point. I think all too often when families come to me, they're, first of all, they're exhausted, which, and I get it. (laughs) Of course they are. And I realize, and I often say this point blank, I'm going to ask you to make changes. And I know you're tired. You don't think you need to make the changes. I mean, I get all that. And you know what? You're going to have to do it anyway, if you want this situation to change. Because you're the one who has some ability to do that at this point. Your loved one, if you've been doing this for 10 years, your loved one probably doesn't have that ability anymore. They are, you know, in the same way we, we want to look at an illness. This is a, at least a medical condition. They are ill. And when our kids are ill, that's when we need to protect them more. Mama bears, papa bears, whoever we are. All right. So let's look at that and say they need your help even more now. Right. This is not the time to say, like, good luck. I'm out of here. Exactly. Exactly. Unless, and I and I will say this, if there's violence going on, that's different. And it may break your heart, but you may have to have a little bit stronger boundaries uh, in that way. Yeah, so then we can do some negotiating, then maybe we can brainstorm about how to be supportive in other ways. Yeah, but not in person, right? If it's going to be a a violent confrontation. Right. Hey there, I'm jumping in for a quick minute to let you know that there is a very special community I created online where moms of kids misusing or addicted to substances gather together and get through this hard stuff with each other. It's called The Stream, and it's unique in that it is not on Facebook, and we focus on positively holding each other up when our kids are struggling. It's a place where we focus on you, because if you are one of these amazing moms, there's a lot of focus on your son or daughter, but who is taking care of you? That is what we do, and we would love to have you join us to get a team around you to help you learn some great tools for encouraging change in your child and to have a place to connect with real moms who totally get it. You can take a look at our membership options at thestreamcommunity.com and I will see you there because I am there a lot. Okay, now let's get back to Dee Dee. I found a little nugget on your website, which, by the way, if you're looking for resources, please just go to Dee Dee's website because you have amazing resources. Your resource section is gold. 
And so, oh, thank um, you, because I worked hard on that. I vetted every single thing on there myself. Yes, it is legit and it's in depth. So take a look at that. But I just want to read something that I found on one of your blogs that I just thought was so perfect. And it it is this: love has no limits, but which we're allowed to set for ourselves and to change when we need to renegotiate, but before, not after an unwanted behavior. Love, especially when parenting, requires behavioral limit setting. It's part of the job description. And I just thought, that's it. That's really it. Thank you. So beautiful. So well said. And I think it is part of the job description. And sometimes you're looking at your 17-year-old who is ragged and doing all the things they're not supposed to do. And you're just like, I just want to tap out. It's so hard. And you can't. <laughs> you just can't. Everybody gets a, gets to do that, of course. But tapping out permanently, no. You know, you signed up for this. They did not. Right. I mean, I think that's also part of this. And again, I'm not trying to blame anybody. I'm just saying we are responsible for those kids uh, and being the best parent we can for the child we have. And that's, of course, the tricky part, right? Yes. I only had one. So <laughs> I only had to learn it once. I, can, I have so much empathy for people who have multiple kids because we're told that you treat each child the same. Because that's what you're supposed to do. It's like, no, that's wrong. Each child is not the same. So if you give each child exactly the same thing, well, what if they don't need it? Yeah. But another one needs more. Right. Or different. One needs right. blue and one needs red and one needs Exactly. Green. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got another one that says, no, I just want polka dots, right? And then you go, oh, man, oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah. Definitely. Well, yeah. The, the emotional grit that it takes with these kids, I think, is underestimated. Um, and I'm glad that you said that, that yes, you do need to tap out for a short amount of time, 24 hours or 48 hours or a week or whatever it is. But I think what um, what I love about craft and what I love about harm reduction is it gives you tools to hang in there and to try different things because I know I got to the point after, I don't know, five years of yelling and screaming and all of that, that I was like, this is not working. There has to be yeah. something out there that works. And look at what it did to you. Yeah. Right. Right. I know. I mean, seriously. Yeah. It completely changes not just your child, but it changes you in such a way. We were talking about this yesterday in one of our calls in the community was that even if like take away your kid, even if you learned these tools, absent of having a child struggling with substance use, you would still be such a better person because you know how to relate to people. You stay in your hula hoop and you let other people stay in theirs. <laughs> and it's beautiful. It just makes life so much easier. So mm -hmm. much easier. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that you said that. I had a mom that I worked with mostly weekly for about a year in Silicon Valley, you know, high powered job has an, a, an adult kid, kind of young adult who was getting into some serious trouble with their drug use. And, you know, we had conversations and this is a lot of the work I do is around communication. I just call it family coaching. It's around communication. How can you have better, more constructive conversations with your loved ones? And when we decided it was time to call it an, an end of our work, at least our regular work, because uh, I always say, you know, you can come back for a checkup anytime. And I stay in touch with folks. And she said to me, you know, I'm taking this into work. I've been amazed at the difference in how I talk to my employees. <laughs> and I was like, yes, you know, yes, this is what it can do. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It is so true. There is a language to this that I think is it takes a little bit to learn because what I have found, and I'd love to hear your professional thoughts on this, is it, it usually starts with I or me, which is not necessarily the way our society is. It's always about like, you did this, you are that, you're doing this. And what what the language of, I think, craft in particular does is just flips that to say, I, me, like I'm feeling this way. 
And it's just, it's different. And it takes a little bit to learn that instead of, you're screwing up your life, you're making my life hell, you're you, you, you. And so it takes a little bit to learn that. But when you do as a parent, I found at least personally that it just liberated me from all of these arguments and all of these power struggles that I was getting into, not only with my ex-husband and with my newer husband, like all of the people that were involved in this situation. It was so freeing. I just had a different perspective on it that was so unique. Do you find that with clients? Like when when you're working with somebody, can you see when they make that switch of like, oh, they're getting it? Yeah. Yeah. Because I tell them that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I get excited. I go, woohoo. <laughs> yes, that's it. And it's usually when they start leading the conversation. Because oftentimes what I'm doing with folks is practicing these skills. You be your kid and let me be you only in a different way. Right. And let's try some things because I don't know what's going to work. I don't know your kid and every kid is different. Every family is different. So let's try some things. And then what I love is usually the next step to getting it is, well, let me try it in my words. That's exactly right. Because I don't want it to sound like me. I want it to sound like you. Or I'll start asking Tell me what you would use for words in here. These are kind of my words, but you know what? And I love it. At one time, who would jump in, the mom and the dad together, and he'd go, "I wouldn't put it that way, but this is how I'd say." It. I'd go, yes, that—that's what I want you to do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Personalize it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It it is exciting when you see like the guy I talked to yesterday. Well, and it worked, you know, yeah, and I her know. eyes lit up, and it just you yes. see that hope because. Even if, you know, her daughter's still doing the exact same thing she was the day before from a substance use standpoint, but she's starting to build the relationship back and the communication back, which is incredible. And I also just, there's a confidence that comes back. And I'm sure you see that too with the people that you work with, because you you just get so worked over and you feel so, like you said, exhausted and just I don't know, there's there's a loss of confidence of like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I've entered this world that is so foreign. And you can start giving people tools and then they start working. Oh, all right. Like, that's pretty yeah. cool. I feel like I'm a little bit back in control. Yeah, I, I see. And I'm sure you do too. People being very lost, very small. Yes. And this is what happens. It's a parallel process for the problematic substance user. And let's be clear, not all people who are using substances are doing it problematically. Doesn't mean you have to like it. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying, let's be clear, right? But when someone gets into that really problematic, they're going down the rabbit hole around their substance use. The family's going with them all too often. Family PTSD. You know, they have their own set of symptoms that are mimicking the ones over here that their loved one is going through. And I think that's the other thing we need to really hold on to as parents. This is, while you may have contributed unknowingly, right? And frankly, probably because people like me were telling you what to do and telling you all the wrong things. And, you know, I own some of that because years ago, I've been doing this for a long time and I told you the wrong things, which is why I'm so adamant about saying the right things today. Uh, Because I can't do anything about those years that I can moving forward. And I have for the last 20, almost 25 now done this work. Yeah. And I feel better. So it's looking at the fact that you are being hurt. Yes but your loved ones are not doing it to you. It has nothing probably to do with you. I mean, it does in a way because you're part of it, but I did not use substances for 20 years to get back at my parents. It had nothing to do with them in a lot of ways. There were events, there were feelings, there were things happening to me that they didn't even know about a lot of times. Now their reaction to that is their part of it. And so a lot of times what I'm also working with folks on is, you know, look at your response to return to use, for instance, when the old behaviors come up again, you know, do not shame, do not 
get angry, all the things you were talking about, Brenda, the sort of yelling, screaming, all of the drama that comes. You know, it's really important that you take a deep breath or five deep breaths if you need. Take a step back and say, okay, hold on. This is not the end of the world. It doesn't mean they need more treatment. It simply means something happened. All change, for the most part, occasionally we can do it in a straight line, but very rarely, most change is in a very rural way. And so we're going to have lapses back into old behavior. You know, there's no other medical condition where someone gets in trouble for having a lapse of some kind, right? You know, the, people don't wind up eating a bunch of sugar when they should have had their insulin for the day and wind up in the emergency department and get shamed for that. Right. No. No. So, you know, let's just hug them closer and tighter, even when they don't want you to. I'm so glad you brought this up because we were having a conversation about this where where parents can see what they're calling, I don't know if this is a term in, in the field of a prelapse, like mom and dad are watching, especially when the kids are living in the home and they've they've been to treatment or they've done whatever and they come back and they've been, you know, sober and they're doing really well. And then they start to see the pattern and they're like, oh no, I know what this means. This is clear warning signs. Like this is a, a lapse. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Yes, this is a lapse coming at us. Mm -hmm. Are there things that you would recommend that they do in that situation that you're seeing it? It might have already happened or it might not. You're just seeing the behaviors and the different circumstances. What could a parent do at that point to have the best chance of of either averting that or or at least just being a really good parent in that lapse situation? And that's a great question. So the first thing is that hopefully before the person ever left treatment, they did some sort of what we standardly call a relapse prevention plan, that they look at the reasons that they were using in the first place. And those reasons may have changed over the years. That's fine. But looking at how come. That can be a challenge uh, sometimes, but that's part of that work that's done. At the same time, I'd be walking through with a family around their own prevention plan because families lapse back into their old behaviors too. Right. Right. This yeah. is a dance that's going on here. <laughs> and we'd rather have it a dance than a wrestling match. So, you know, that's a step in the right direction. <laughs> but if we don't want to just be reacting to each other back and forth. So if everyone is on board with understanding that change is not a linear process, so things are going to happen, most likely, then let's get prepared for it. You know, I live in the San Francisco area. We have an earthquake kit. It's right down here behind me. Now, it's mostly cat food and water, so we know who's important here, but, <laughs> you know, know I have something. <laughs> you know, I've got a couple of chargers in there and my medications and that sort of stuff. But, you know... We have one, not because I'm waiting for the earthquake to happen. Oh, my God. Yeah. But because I've lived through two of them. So it makes sense to have something that I'm prepared for. I am not going to spend my life on the edge of fear, however, that I refuse to do that. And I invite families to not live on the edge of fear either, because that's going to get you worn out. So we need to have a plan. Have an earthquake kit. Exactly. And that's what I used to call it. I said, you know, let's not call it a, a relapse prevention plan because that people didn't like it. And actually, we now know that the use of that word is problematic. So <laughs> let's call it the earthquake prevention or the earthquake kit. So, you know, the be prepared if you were an old Boy Scout, right? You know, it's whatever term you want to use. That requires we have a conversation because we're going to have a family prepared kit. So questions like, so if you wind up drinking, using whatever it is again, what would you like to have happen? What would be helpful? And if the person says, you know, I don't think I really want anything. Like, I don't think, I mean, I don't think I'll need to go back to formal treatment or anything. But you know what would be really helpful, mom, is if, if you could just sit with me, maybe just make sure I'm okay. And if you just wouldn't lecture me, 
that would be great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. You might need to remind me because <laughs> I'm human too. <laughs> but yeah. Well, we'll give that a try. Yeah. The emotions all kick in. And what I see is as soon as the some of those signs start to show up for our kids, mom and dad go back into like FBI mode. Yes. Where they're fully on 24-7, just on that son or daughter, like white on race. And it's just yep. really late. The clamps come on, the curfews come down. You know, there's just this like, and making things worse. Well, you are. It is, should all be practicing this for fires in the house, right? There's certain tools that we should have. If you have a multi-story home, you should have a ladder for instance, you need to have some fire extinguishers and people need to know where they are and how to use them. It doesn't do any good to have a tool if you then don't know what to do with it. Yes. yes. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that we need to be doing. And yes, it's going to take a little time and you may have to do it more than once. Yep. In fact, you're probably going to have to do it a few times. But that's, that is what helps us to be ready when shit hits the fan. Right. Because the problem is, and we do this in treatment too. The problem is that we give people all these tools. We, we don't really help them to walk through it, not in a, in an actual setting because we've taken them out of their natural setting. And now they're in an artificial environment. And I can tell you, as someone who went through treatment, I came up with a whole lot of my warning signs while I was there. But I didn't come up with all of them because I wasn't even aware of all of them until I got back into the environment and went, oh, geez, okay, I didn't even realize this. But you know what? I have this sudden urge. (laughs) Here we go. Yeah. So the other thing I need to be able to do is I need to be able to tell you, I have an urge. I'm having these cravings, mom. Now, I also appreciate that might be too much for mom. I just can't be that person. And I say, okay, that's fair enough. Then you two need to agree on who is the person. Who is, right. And you need to not get upset. You can just simply say, honey, remember we talked about this. I can't be the person. And if you've done your family planning, everybody knows mom isn't the person to go to for this. Right, right. Maybe I need to go to Aunt Brenda. Okay, right. But I need to be able to share that without everybody freaking out and going, oh, my God, they need to go back to treatment. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that is the fear, especially with young people is, oh, my gosh, my parents are going to freak out. They're going to send me back to wilderness therapy. They're going to send me back to residential treatment. I don't want that. I just had a joint at a party. And it doesn't mean that I've got to go back to treatment. And so... I love that idea of having a plan, having the whole plan or the earthquake kit. And also what you said of going back and revising whatever it was that was created in treatment, because once you're back in the wild, you might see the Burger King where you used to go through the drive-thru and get the Percocet. And it's like, oh, I didn't think about that when I was in Malibu at <laughs> in my you right. know, surf therapy <laughs> exactly. or whatever it is they're doing. Yeah. Got it. So good. So good. Oh my goodness. Any any last thoughts that you want to convey? Any I always think, you know, there's got to be a question that you get asked all the time. Or is there a question that people never ask you that they really should ask you that you would like to clear up? I think the question that I get asked the most is what do I do about And here comes the scenario. And so the answer to that is, I honestly don't know. Right. I can tell you what some tools are. I can tell you, we can brainstorm together. But I can tell you that if I have a pat answer to that, you better go running. Because anyone who says this is the way to do X, Y, and Z are, I don't know if they're lying or, but they're certainly lying to themselves. Yeah, because no two families are the same. No two children are the same, right? So how could it possibly be the same to try to um, help someone through this really uh, traumatic 
point in their life. Yeah, because um, you by the time somebody has been using for a number of years and using a significant amount, and um, especially if it's illicit drugs, which does make a difference in what happens lifestyle, if you will, right? Um, and, you know, it's a whole different world. And you're not just going to pluck somebody out of that overnight. So, you know, I say be patient, be curious, and I keep going back to that. um, And remember, it doesn't matter if you caused it. I don't think most parents have. If you had a part in it, it was your lack of knowledge. Own up to that. I made mistakes. Now, I remember telling my own son this. I am going to make mistakes. And you know what? I'm I'm willing to send you to counseling or whatever you need. I'm willing to have conversations with you about it. But I can't do all the heavy lifting. Yeah. I can't. But I'll have any conversation and answer any question you put before me. Yeah. So I think that's the other side, too, is if, again, if I'm open and transparent with you, my child, then... I can more reasonably expect that you might do that with me, but we've got to show it first. Right. I think what's hard about the curiosity um, stance is it requires us to give up control. And we so badly want to control the situation. I know. And so you have to be willing to to set that aside if you're going to be really curious and realize that's not going to happen. Well, let's take it a step further, Renda, and really pull the sheet back or the curtain back to use the metaphor of the wizard, right? We don't have control of anything anyway. You're not giving anything up. (laughs) So you are really not giving anything up other than your fantasy that you have control in the first place. So let's get into reality. I love that. So, gosh, what if I said that to my kid? You know what? I don't have any control here anyway. So I'm not going to go grounding you and doing all this now. I'm not going to be stupid and hand you the car keys either because you might hurt yourself or somebody else that way. So we're not going to go that far. But these other things are not working. What I am going to do is that we have some conversations about this. And I'm going to be willing to answer any question you have. And we're going to do the sort of um, truth or dare. And, you know, you answer any question of mine. Right. Okay. What's that sound like? And we'll just do one question. It's not going to be a, you know, peppering of interrogation here. <laughs> we're, we're not doing that anymore either. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe around the dinner table, you know, with everybody here, we're going to talk about what's going on just for a bit. And what I'm struggling with is a mom and working and the pandemic and all the things that are going on in the world and how it's affecting me. And yeah, I'm having an extra glass of wine at night. And you know, I need to work on that. Yeah, you're right. Now, how about you? How's it going for you? Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. But I love that pulls back the curtain. And (laughs) oh, there is not a big like box of control back there. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, I'll let you in on the secret. I can't tell you how many therapists and other professionals in my world believe that they have control over too mm, right i can imagine like, that's all yeah. yeah that's a whole nother you can let that one go too folks <laughs> yeah definitely definitely and i do know the one i think when we talked last you said the, the thing that people really never ask you is because you use you were substance user for for a long time people never asked you why are you using they sent you to treatment and they did all these things but they didn't ask you Didi, why are you using so that's just a good reminder, I think, for parents. If if you haven't asked that, do. Yeah. And I should put it this way. So what I got was, why are you using drugs? Oh, my God. Right. That's not what we're talking about. Different. Okay. Forgive your eardrums on that one. It is, how come? What's going on, baby? Talk to me. I'm here to help. And if it can't be me, no problem. Then let's find you somebody that you feel comfortable that you can talk about with this. Yeah. You let me know what you need. There are a lot of times where we so badly want to be the person that our kids talk to, and that's just not going to always be possible. So we have to be okay with that as well. All goes back to the control issue. So, Yeah. 
We all oh, can just gosh. revisit The Wizard of Oz. How's that? Yes. Okay. So everybody <laughs> now go to go watch The Wizard of Oz. And well, thank you so much. This was a really great conversation. I have no idea what I'm going to call it because we covered so much ground, but I will I figure it out. And it's just <laughs> such a pleasure to talk with you. And it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Brenda, yes. and with your listeners. Yes. I so well, appreciate it too. They thank love you. you. And we'll put this out there and see what happens. Hopefully it'll help some parents kind of get a little bit of grounding and some footing and what yeah. they're going through. And let me put in a plug just real quickly for Absolutely. a couple of books. Yes. And one is obviously Beyond Addiction. Uh, of course. Um, Jeff and Carrie have written a, an amazing book there. There are a c- companion books, you know, the workbooks, the parents and the partners, 20-minute guides are brilliant. I use those all the time. And the other one I love is called Listening Well. That's by William R. Miller, Dr. Miller, who is a developer of motivational interviewing. And one of the people that trained me in my profession, and it's sort of motivational interviewing for lay people. Uh, And it's just a really simple, small book, about 100 pages, and it's all about becoming a better listener. Love that. Has little exercises at the ends, too. Love that. Well, there's also a little book called Coming to Harm Reduction, Kicking and Screaming (laughs) that I've heard about. Uh, I know. Yeah. So that's that's Dee Dee's book. Yeah. I always forget that. (laughs) Yeah. But also, I'm really serious about your resource section on your website, um, which is DeeDeeStoutConsulting.com, right? Mm -hmm. Very thorough. Like you said, vetted which is huge because you just never know what you're going to get. Yeah. I'm, I'm adamant about that, Brenda. Thank yeah. you. I get inundated by people sending me, you know, materials or wanting their rehab to be up there or whatever. You do not know who I am or you wouldn't be sending me this garbage because I wouldn't put that up anywhere. Yeah. No, leave me alone. <laughs> Rarely does anybody get up there <laughs> and yes. they don't unless I know someone personally who knows that, or I know the people personally. That's how I vet. My client says, yes, I went there, it was decent, or I checked this out, I've gone to these support groups, I've done it, or someone I know has. Yeah, makes such a huge difference because Google is a very scary place. It's a wild, wild west. So if you want to save yourself some time, go to Dee Dee's website and look at her resources because they're fabulous. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to go to the show notes, you can always find those at brendazane.com forward slash podcast. Each episode is listed there with full transcript, all of the resources that we mention, as well as a place to leave comments if you would like to do that. You might also want to download a free ebook I wrote called Hindsight, Three Things I Wish I Knew When My Son Was Addicted to Drugs. It's full of the information I wish I would have known when my son was struggling with his addiction. You can grab that at brendazane.com forward slash hindsight. Thanks again for listening, and I will meet you right back here next week.